not the boss of me now and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where we watch and talk about every episode of Malcolm in the Middle in chronological order. Today, we're talking about Jessica Stays Over, which originally aired November 4th, 2005, was directed by Alex Reed and written by Matthew Carlson. Hi, I'm Jake, and I'm not going to let some bee run my life. And I'm David, and my podcast's in jail, and I live on a couch. Looking bad isn't really a concern for me. Uh, I almost had a very similar intro <laughs> line. <laughs> uh, naturally. <laughs> Getting in to this episode, we have the cold open, which starts with Reese and Malcolm sitting at the kitchen table, and Jamie walks in with a candy bar. Which Reese immediately demands that Jamie give him the candy bar. Like holding out his hand and saying, give me the candy. Then when Jamie shakes his head, Reese stands up and says, give it to me, Jamie. And Jamie pretends to throw the candy bar into the den. <laughs> and like a dog, Reese runs into the room and starts tearing through it, looking for this candy bar. Well, Jamie watches and takes a big bite, and Malcolm, seeing what he's done, turns to camera and says, Wow, I didn't get Reese with that one until I was five. <laughs> then, getting into the episode proper, we have three plot lines to go through, and we'll start with the Hal-centric plot. Uh, which I think you have very simply called the B-plot. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought about it, but no, I figured you'd guess that. Uh, and as it turns out, I was right, so yay me. No, Jake, this is the PA plot. For? Planet of the Apiarists. This is a plot line about the destruction of the bees, Jake. Wow. What? Wow. It's literally a war. <laughs> it's literally a war, Jake. Ask Hal. <sighs> Are you mad that I'm wrong? Or that I'm right? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm mad at the pun that you <laughs> situated that rightness around. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> Well, this plotline starts with Dewey holding a jar of honey and asking, is that a dead bee? Which Hal tells him that it is, and that's how you know it's fresh. <laughs> you won't get dead bees in your honey from the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> and when Dewey asks where he got this fresh honey from, Hal says, well... You know that beehive in the tool shed? Well, it's not a problem anymore. Gross. And Dewey asks him how he, uh, you know, knew how to get rid of these bees. And Hal says that uh, it's instinctive that a uh, man has all that he needs to deal with bees uh, from nature. And it's, you know, part of him. Except the poison. You have to buy that. <laughs> oh, how. <laughs> and Dewey feels sorry for the bees. But Hal tells him that it's survival of the fittest. That 
Uh, if the bees had won, they would be spreading them on their toast right now. <laughs> exactly, Jake. See? Exactly. <laughs> then uh, Hal is taking out the trash, and he sees a bee flying around, and you know realizes that this must be a survivor uh, from the hive that he destroyed. And uh, he's sort of talking to the bee, saying, yeah, you must not have been around when Uncle Hal came over, huh? Hmm. But then the bee, like, darts towards him and causes him to flinch. And Hal, like, starts yelling at it, trying to, like, shoo it away. And as it keeps coming after him, Hal starts yelling and runs screaming inside, narrowly making it in. Then uh, we get, like, a little... Side detail to this plot line as the Malcolm, Lois, and Hal, and Jessica are all, like, at the table. And Hal asks Malcolm if he, uh, knows the life expectancy of a bee. <laughs> and when Malcolm doesn't, he asks, What's the point of lugging that big hat ears around if you can't even remember a few facts? <laughs> <laughs> Hal was really counting on him, and he let him down. <laughs> Then we see Hal trapped inside by the bee as uh, Lois finds him and asks why he's not at work yet. It's 10.30. <laughs> and Hal explains that he was trying to go to his car when the bee attacked him and it was all he could do to get back inside. That's right. It's not his fault. He can't help it. Yeah, this bee's on some sort of crazy vendetta. Well, it kind of makes sense when you think about it. <laughs> yeah, see... Dead, kill his friends and family and destroy his whole world. <laughs> <laughs> but Hal concocts a plan to get out of the house as he's going to go to the back door to draw the bee's attention. And while he's at the back door, he's going to send Lois out to his car to, to pull up to the side door and uh, honk the horn. Two short beeps, then one long beep. <laughs> <laughs> and he'll run back to the side door, he'll count down from three, and they'll open both doors simultaneously, and he'll get into the car. <laughs> and that's where my opening line comes from, is Lois says he's being ridiculous, and Hal says, well, I'm not gonna let some bee run my life. <laughs> oh. So silly. So funny. Then we see uh, Hal in the bathroom with Jamie, <laughs> explaining that... Lois told him to take Jamie to the park, but why would they go outside where there's bad things that want to hurt Daddy when we can have just as much fun inside? Oh, Hal. And he <laughs> says that he's going to make a shaving cream beard. Won't that be fun? He, he did it in the office last week and everyone loved it. <laughs> but when he opens the medicine cabinet to get the shaving cream... The bee is there, waiting for him. And Hal runs screaming out of the bathroom, lock, like closing the door behind him, locking Jamie in the bathroom with the bee. But he does tell Jamie, it's okay, it's not after you, it's after me. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, that to me just, well, we'll talk about it later. Man, <laughs> <laughs> we get another sort of aside reference to this plot line as Hal is sleeping with a bug net over his like entire head, and he apparently has a smoker running next to him as Lois asks, Can you shut the smoke off now? And Hal says, 
in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> then the final scene of this plotline, which also closes out the episode, uh, concludes Hal's fight with this bee as he gets into his car after, you know, uh, working. And he looks in the rearview mirror and sees that the bee is in the backseat. And he... <laughs> is talking to the bee telling it to you know stay calm we can talk our way through this as he slowly lowers the window then takes off speeding and it's like swerving down the road as he's like trying to swat at the bee with a sweater as he's driving down the road trying to get it out of the window uh, which he does succeed at, and realizing that the bee is out, he closes the window and, like, sighs in relief and starts to drive away. But then he looks out to his left and sees that the bee is flying next to him, <laughs> keeping up with his car. And we get, like, a full-on, like, car action scene. But there's only one car and a bee. It's so great, though. <laughs> the bee, like, slams its side into Hal's window, which sends his car, like, swerving <laughs> off to the side as if it had been, like, bumped by another car in a chase. <laughs> and Hal, like, does the same to the bee, and they go, like, back and forth for a while until a delivery truck pulls out in front of Hal, causing him to... Like, have to swerve out of the way and spin out of control. And when he does, the bee lands uh, on a brick wall, like, below a sign. And they have one final showdown as Hal says it's time to end this for good. Backs his car up and then slams on the gas and slams headfirst into this uh, brick wall. Smashing the bee with his car. And he, like, gets out of the car, and a police officer pulls up and runs over, asking if he's okay. And Hal, very, like, action movie-esque, with, like, a big smirk on his face, says, Everything's just fine. Then he, like, chuckles to himself and asks the dead bee, Who's the idiot now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hal. It's you. <laughs> It's still you. Then from there, we will go to the uh, titular Malcolm-centered plot, which I think you have named. Oh, see, I, I've got two. <laughs> two I, I'm trying to figure out. There's a specific thing from the plot line you might have named this after. Hmm. Or did you go more general, is what I'm trying to, like, determine. <laughs> uh, I, I think you kept it more general. I'm gonna say you called this the uh, EM plot for emotional manipulation. Oh, very close, Jacob. Very close. But this is actually the BPD plotline, on account of Jessica's borderline personality disorder. Ah. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> And this plotline starts uh, with Jessica in the Wilkerson bathroom uh, in a towel shaving her armpits. And Malcolm barges in and apologizes, you know, upon seeing what she's doing and who's in there. But uh, she says, it's okay, Malcolm. Someday you'll be old enough to shave too. 
Then she, like, uh, shoes Malcolm out of the bathroom. And Malcolm explains to camera that uh, Jessica is staying on their couch until her dad gets arraigned. Uh, as he tried to track Jessica's mother down and ended up uh, drunkenly stealing a street sweeper and trying to drive it to Mexico. I mean, who hasn't been there, right? Am I right? Absolutely. Then Lois calls for Malcolm, Reese, and Jessica, you know, to go off to school. And Reese pops out of bed fully dressed in like a hoodie and jeans. And when Malcolm is confused by this, he uh, says that he doesn't want Jessica to get a look at the goods. <laughs> God. And when Lois comes in and asks what's taking them so long, Reese complains about Jessica, you know, hogging the bathroom. While Malcolm uh, asks for the car to go to a Frank Miller sighting for his new graphic novel. And... Uh, Lois says, uh, after what I found behind your hamper last week, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Malcolm, like, turns to the camera and says, I don't even know how she comes up with these connections. <laughs> <laughs> then the next time we see Malcolm, he's explaining to camera that he's not that upset about missing the book signing. I mean, after all, it's always disappointing meeting your heroes, which... Man, Frank Miller being Malcolm's, like, personal hero. Right. Really tracks oh, in so God. many ways. So many. Oh. <laughs> like, you gotta wonder, there had to be a comic book nerd in the writer's room for that one, right? Well, we'll, 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 we'll get to that with a certain award, David. Oh, God. So of I did some looking will. into some things. Yeah? <laughs> yep. But uh, then uh, Jessica pulls up. In the car, which Malcolm is, you know, completely perplexed by. And he immediately asks her, how did you get the car? And she says that, you know, she had some shopping to do and Lois insisted that she take it. And Malcolm says, you know, how? I've been begging her for weeks for the car. And Jessica says that that's his mistake. That... Uh, she just got all vulnerable and sad and started talking about her dad. And, uh, you know, before she knew it, Lois was letting her use the car. And Malcolm says, you know, that's ridiculous. It, it can't be that easy. And Jessica says that, uh, you know, it's just how her entire family is, that they all manipulate each other like that. And she, like, starts getting emotional as she starts talking about how, you know, she can't even uh, display real emotions anymore. And, you know, her family's this cesspool of manipulation and how awful it is and, like, starts to walk away towards the house. And Malcolm quickly drops the basketball and, like, picks up the things that she bought and walks with her, like, apologizing and telling her it's going to be okay. When they get to the door, she turns around and smiles and says, Oh, thank you for carrying my bags. See, it is that easy. God. <laughs> then we see Malcolm uh, trying Jessica's method as he's, like, sitting at the kitchen table, mopily eating cereal, as teenagers do. Uh -huh. <laughs> and Lois walks in, and, and initially she uh, asks him uh, what's wrong, and he says nothing. And she blows it off and opens up the fridge. 
and complains about how disgusting the crisper is in the fridge, and she tells Malcolm to get a sponge and clean this out. And Malcolm, still, like, being very mopey, says, you know, okay, and doesn't fight her on it, which is what gets her to take notice, and she asks, uh, okay, you're not fighting beyond me telling you to do something, what's wrong? <laughs> and Malcolm says that he's stressed out about a math test that's coming up, and Lois says, don't worry about it, you'll do great, you always do, and he says, that's the problem. Uh, everyone assumes that I'm going to be perfect all the time when it comes to school stuff, and he starts talking about all of the pressure that puts on him. Then it cuts to the boys' room where Malcolm is walking in to show Jessica he has the car keys. And uh, he, he has like a shiny streak down his cheek where he's clearly been crying. <laughs> and uh, as he tells, you know, Jessica that her method worked great and uh, she tells him, you know, he did well. She asks, uh, wait, is that a tear? <laughs> and Malcolm, like, wipes his cheek and says no as he runs away. <laughs> then, uh, at the scene with Hal asking Malcolm about, uh, bee lifespans, uh, when he makes his remark about, you know, what's the point of Malcolm's big head if he can't remember a few facts, Lois jumps in to defend Malcolm saying that, you know, he gets enough pressure about that kind of thing at school, he doesn't need his family doing it as well. And Malcolm turns to camera and says, wow, this vulnerability crap works a lot better than I expected. <laughs> then, uh, we see Malcolm getting ready for a party, and Jessica walks in and asks what he's doing, and when he explains that, you know, he's going to this party, she asks, uh, how are you gonna get the car? And he says that, you know, he's just going to do what he did last time, but this time with a science test. And she asks if he's a moron. Uh, well, the answer to that is yes. <laughs> she tells him, uh, you have to put some thought into this. You're not manipulating a guy. <laughs> and Malcolm, you know, asks what she means. And she says that, you know, Lois has a great radar. He'll have to come up with something new. He'll have to display some kind of actual fear or inadequacy or it'll never work. And Malcolm isn't sure what to tell Lois. <laughs> and uh, Jessica says, your only problem is, is narrowing it down to one inadequacy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's right. But damn, that's harsh. <laughs> and Malcolm, like, trying to find a flaw that, you know, makes him uncomfortable, says, well, I'm not the tallest. <laughs> and Jessica doesn't think that's enough, so she says, okay, here's what we'll do. I'll start listing things, and then you'll name the one that makes you the most uncomfortable. And uh, she lists short, scrawny, self-absorbed, and huge mother issues, and to each of those, Malcolm just says, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then when she says, uh, you have no sexual energy, <laughs> Malcolm says, hey, <laughs> and she goes, bingo. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, Malcolm walks back into the room and uh, tells Jessica that he has this like real heart-to-heart -heart conversation with Lois about... Uh, his issues and about, you know, her experiences when uh, she was his age and they really bonded and got to know each other. 
And he says it was great. And Jessica asks, so did you get the car? And Malcolm, having forgot that he was after, says, oh, right, yeah, and like pulls the keys out, but says, you know, I don't think I'm going to go to that party after all. Uh, instead, he's going to stay home and start a journal. Nerd. And Jessica, like, gives him a look of pure confusion. <laughs> then uh, we see Lois and Malcolm doing dishes together. And having another, you know, heart-to-heart -heart conversation, talking about how they both have a sense of loneliness, even surrounded by their family. And, uh, you know, they're relating to one another and understanding each other. And Lois realizes they've been talking all morning and she has to, like, rush off to get ready for work. And Malcolm volunteers to stay and finishes, finish the dishes while she does that. And with Lois gone, Jessica pops up behind Malcolm... She was laying on the couch in the living room and heard everything. And she says, uh, you know, that was genius. What are you after? And Malcolm says, uh, nothing. We're just genuinely bonding. Which uh, Jessica calls pathetic. <laughs> and tells Malcolm that uh, she wants him to take Lois out to the movies on Monday for a couple hours because her boyfriend is coming over and she wants the house to herself, if you know what I mean. What? <laughs> and Malcolm says, uh, you can't hook up in my house. I haven't even hooked up in my house. <laughs> uh, Jessica says, good, you do understand what I mean. I was worried you wouldn't with what you were telling Lois. <laughs> huh. Something about the... the pit of meaningless void or i don't i don't remember something emo sounding yes it's the sweet despair or something like that but uh malcolm uh you know initially tries to refuse but jessica says that if uh he doesn't go through with this for her she's going to tell lois that he was just uh manipulating her to get to the car and that's the only reason he's been bonding with her and Malcolm says that, uh, you know, if she does that, then it'll, be, you know, be revealed that she's manipulating Lois as well, and she'll look bad, too. And that's where your opening line comes from. <laughs> yeah. As Jessica says, my dad's in jail and I live on a couch. Looking bad isn't really a concern for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fair, I guess. And Malcolm says, you know, fine, I'll do it, but he... Uh, says that, you know, he's upset because he thought Jessica was helping him out because they're friends. And huh. Jessica just says, save the girl talk for your mom. <laughs> <laughs> God. Then in the uh, scene that I mentioned where we see that uh, Hal is now sleeping in like a full bug net, uh, Lois is telling Hal how close she feels to Malcolm lately, how this is the closest she's felt to him since he was four years old. And that, you know, this sort of thing is what makes all the crap they have to put up worth it. Then we see Jessica at the house with her boyfriend, Mike, uh, who is Asian, which will be relevant in another plotline. It sure will. <laughs> and they are, like, uh, making out on Malcolm's bed when Malcolm barges in. And... Uh, Jessica's, you know, confused by him being there, you know, asking, what are you doing here and where's Lois? And Malcolm explains that they were watching the movie 
and he, you know, couldn't do it. He, uh, realized how much Lois really cares about him, and he had to tell her that, you know, all of this started with him trying to manipulate her into giving him the car, but it's turned into real bonding. But Lois wouldn't hear it. She marched out of Ottoman counters and straight into body count three. God. <laughs> Which is a shame because Ottoman counters is actually really good. <laughs> <laughs> and Malcolm like plops down on the bed in between Jessica and Mike and like starts crying on her shoulder. And Mike is, like, uncomfortable with this and says, This is weird. I'm gonna go make a sandwich. Fair. And that is where this plot line ends, leaving only the Dewey and Reese-centered plot line. What would you name this? <laughs> I'm going to say you called this the MP plot for Marco Polo. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> not a bad idea not where i went with it at all but interesting what did you go with this is the hm plot line for human male okay fair enough <laughs> <laughs> and uh this plot line starts with reese being upset at his pen pal zhao li <laughs> which uh dewey walks in and uh sees him you know uh, audibly upset at this letter he's received. And uh, he says that uh, the school made them all, you know, get pen pals from around the world. And he got this idiot Zhao Li from China. And Dewey asks, what's wrong with China? And Ri says, it's not as cool as you think. He won't send me illegal fireworks or get my nunchucks signed by the emperor. <laughs> <laughs> and... He says that, you know, their pen pal relationship started with a very simple request for him to apologize for Pearl Harbor, but that jerk wouldn't even do that. Oh, Reese. <laughs> he says that it's unfair that he can draw scribbles, and it's a language, but when Reese does it, he's an idiot. And he says, you know, but even after all that, I thought, you know what, Reese, be the bigger man. And, you know... Be polite about things. And he hands Dewey the letter, and Dewey reads, What Reese has written, Do you want me to kick your ass? Check yes or no. <laughs> <laughs> and Reese says, See, and the, the idiot couldn't even do that, right? He didn't check either box. And Dewey reads his response, which is just, Reese, you need to get help. <laughs> <laughs> and Reese explains his master plan to get back at Zhao Li for, you know, thinking he's an idiot. He's going to mail himself to China and he's going to kick his upside down ass. God. <laughs> oh, Reese, you fuck. <laughs> yeah, so racist this episode. All right. God. <laughs> and it only gets worse. <laughs> uh -huh. Dewey asks, uh, well, how are you going to get back home after you kick this guy's ass? And Reese says, oh, Dewey, you don't understand Asian culture. You see, after I kick his ass, I'll earn his respect. Uh, and he'll give me half his land and his sister. If she's hot. Ugh. 
Then he says that he just has to stay off Lois's radar for the next three days. And in order to do this, as Lois walks in with some laundry, he takes one of the shirts and says, You call this clean? You know, if you're gonna half-ass it, you shouldn't even bother. And Lois says, yeah, That does it. You're grounded for the next two days to your room. And Reese picks up some socks and says, Oh, well, maybe you can use those two days to uh, figure out how to... Uh, uh, properly fold socks. <laughs> and Lois says, that's it, mister. That's three days. You want to keep going? And Reese says, nope, three days is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Reese. Then we see Reese preparing for his shipment to China as he has a giant crate with one side, like, covered entirely in stamps. And he's putting his supplies in, uh, which include uh, six boxes of cereal, two gallons of milk, eight peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, adult diapers, and Mad Libs. <laughs> and he says that he also has some barbells so that he's in good shape when he gets there to kick Jolly's ass. <laughs> and he pulls out some like homemade barbells, which are... Like, four different size soup cans taped together. Those are just soup cans. <laughs> yes. And Reese explains that, you know, a lot of these things serve two purposes. Like, my pillow is filled with M&Ms so I can nap and snack from the same source. It's just like early NASA space capsules. <laughs> yeah, just like that. Then he asks Dewey if he has the tapes ready to cover for him, which Dewey says he does. And as Reese is, like, about to climb into the crate, uh, he's, like, you know, giving Dewey his instructions of where to take this crate to have it shipped. And Dewey asks, uh, should I have them market fragile? And Reese says, what is that supposed to mean? And punches him. <laughs> <laughs> then, tucked away in his crate, Dewey... Like, puts the box in a cart and attaches it to his bike and, like, bikes away. And then it just cuts to Dewey coming back with the crate still. And he kicks the box off of the cart. And it cuts to an inside view of the box where he says, And the journey begins. <laughs> <laughs> and we see a bit of Dewey using these tapes to cover for Reese as... Lois, having, you know, waited long enough that Reese's eggs are nice and cold, uh, sends Dewey to their room to give Reese his breakfast. Which Dewey, like, goes into their room and presses play on the tape recorder. And uh, Reese's voice comes over, complaining about the food. Then we uh, see inside the box, Reese is trying to pour some milk into his cereal, but he's, like, being jostled around. And he complains about the stupid loud jet engine and, like, pounds on the side of the crate, yelling, Learn how to fly, you idiot! And what he assumes <laughs> is a pilot. Then it cuts to the outside view where Dewey is sitting in a lawn chair uh, with the lawnmower on, making the sound that Reese thinks is the jet engine, with, like, a rope and pulley system that he's, like, occasionally yanking on. To, uh, you know, create the impression for Reese that he's being jostled around in the back of a plane. He also has a fan going, which is, I thought was ingenious. 
and he's like sitting with some headphones on and reading. Then the next time we see Reese, he is writing in his journal saying, Day 23, I'm out of food, but I feel more focused and alive than ever before. Things are crystal clear now. And then uh, he like fades away and like falls asleep for a few seconds. And when he like snaps awake, he begins writing his journal again, starting with day 24. (laughs) (laughs) And he says that he must be close. He can smell the docks. And, And once again, cuts to an outside view where Dewey now has the box like on a tire with like a... Uh, stick in between the uh, tire and the box that he's, like, moving around to, uh, you know, create the sensation of being on a boat while he has a heat lamp next to the box and the fan blowing fish, like, like cooked fish, directly into the box. <laughs> and he's sitting, uh, like, eating an ice cream cone with his nose plugged this time. Then we once again see Dewey using the tape to cover for Reese as the tape is like playing. Reese and Dewey having the like classic, uh, you know, stop touching me, I'm not touching you argument. While Dewey is like uh, laying in bed uh, playing a Game Boy with no cartridge in it. Yeah, I was wondering if you caught that. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) It's so noticeable. (laughs) It's so like, yeah, immediately I was like, fake gamer, fake gamer. (laughs) And he, like, clearly, like, has gets a look of, like, oh, shit on his face and turns and sees that Lois is standing in the room with her arms folded. <laughs> then it cuts to Dewey showing her the box and clearly having explained what's going on as she says, your poor brother's stuck in there thinking he's going to China? And Dewey says, yeah. And she says, and you've just been tortured him this whole time? Yeah. <laughs> And she, like, thinks about it for a second and says, Can you breathe in there? And Dewey says, Well, he's still making sounds. <laughs> and she asks, Does he have food and water in there? And Dewey says, Yeah. And she says, Okay. And walks away. <laughs> oh, Lois. <laughs> then this plot line ends uh, as Dewey runs into Jessica's boyfriend, Mike, in the kitchen. And they, like, introduce themselves to each other and that uh Dewey is about to walk out with a bucket of ice for some reason which I'm curious what his plans were for that right but then he gets an idea and he turns to Mike and says hey there's a crate out in the garage that I can't get open you look strong you think you could open it for me (laughs) and Mike says sure And he opens the crate, and Reese, like, gets out, but can't stand up. He's, like, bent over at, like, a more severe angle than, like, a 90-degree angle. (laughs) And he, like, immediately says, Aha! I bet you weren't expecting me, shall we? (laughs) And he punches him in the shin. And Mike says, ow, stop it. And Reese says, I don't speak Chinese and hits him again. And Mike just says, okay, and starts beating the shit out of him. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a a bad season for uh, Reese's fight record. Yeah. (laughs) First Stevie, now this. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, Stevie cheated, though. That's true. I mean... 
Reese definitely put himself at a severe disadvantage in both of these fights as well. That's true. <laughs> but that's irrelevant. <laughs> what matters is that Reese is consistently getting his ass kicked, as he deserves. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, that wraps this episode up. So let's go to our awards. I'm not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Awards. And as usual, we will start with our Roller Skating Keen Award, our award for the best visual moment. What did you have for this one, David? There were a lot of options. There really were. But I had to settle on the bee chase scene. The idea of having an entire action movie car scene with, like, nothing there, and it just being the bee, so funny. Uh, yeah, yeah. I also love this bee plot. This is one of them that, like, a lot. I've seen a lot of people point to as, like, the, the show getting too silly for them. Ah. But, uh, yeah, I, I love this uh, bee plot. I, I, I think it's super funny. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's goofy. It's fun. And learn to learn to have some fun, people. Come on. <laughs> uh, that, that is one of them I had down as an option. Uh, but uh, I'm going to go sort of broadly with uh, Dewey's, like, homemade contraptions to, like, make Reese think he's at different points in his voyage. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. That was very funny. Yeah, just like both times it happens, it's such a good reveal, like, cutting from, like, this cramped, like, perspective of Reese inside the box to this, like, intricate setup Dewey has done for, like, this very specific effect. Right. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, I I, I have to give it, like, it. the only thing that, like, I think won me over on the B over that, because that was originally what I was leaning towards, is the, uh, like just the way that they film the uh, the chase scene with the bee in and of itself, I think is very funny because they show the absolute lunacy of it. Like from the outside, they show that anyone who's seen this is just seeing Hal driving like a madman. Yeah, for sure. And they do do like one of my like favorite visual gags, which is where like, it's like a very like intense up close, like version of the shot. And then it like, goes to, like, a much further out shot to give, like, a much more objective look at how stupid this looks. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like, the, the setting of the scale of this. Yeah. And uh, it's not technically a visual thing, but I also really appreciate that they have, like, action music going when it's, like, focused on how when it, like, <laughs> cuts to the, out, like, further out shot, it's just silent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Then, uh, moving on to our next award, what did you give your hot dog with mustard? Your award for the best line. I went back and forth with this, but this actually also ended up landing on Hal. I love the line, human beings were born with everything they need to destroy the bees. Except the poison. You have to buy that. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's such a Hal line. It's so funny. Like, I don't know. It, it, It has maximum dad energy to me like this this feels like something your dad would say you know yeah for sure (laughs) (laughs) yeah most of my choices did come from Hal but I I will actually go with the only one I have down that didn't and that is the Jessica line you know with that level of intimacy I'd go for a laptop (laughs) (laughs) 
So I think it's just a very good illustration of Jessica's, like, sociopathic understanding of human emotions. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> Moving on, which of these plot lines did you choose as the A plot of your heart? So I actually, uh, man, I I had a hard time with this one, too. But I, I settled on the, the Reese one specifically because of all the the like dewy goofiness but also the scenes with reese inside the box are so well done i absolutely love justin burfield's acting especially on the one where he's like pretending to be you know like passing out and (laughs) and losing track of his days and stuff it's just it's so well done yeah, I also went with that plot line as my favorite. Just, uh, yeah, but both Reese and Dewey in this plot line are just, like, so good. Yeah. <laughs> They're so funny. I agree. And who did you choose as your top skate dog, your favorite character? I, I had to go with Dewey, because the idea of doing this to your brother is hilarious to me. <laughs> Yep, I also went with Dewey. <laughs> the, the like, moment that, like, fully settled Dewey as my, like, favorite character is uh, as Mike is just, like, pounding Reese into the ground, it just cuts to Dewey with the biggest, happiest smile on his face. Yes. <laughs> his plan went better than he thought it was going to go. Yep. <laughs> And who did you give your Cloris Leachman Award, your award for the best acting? Uh, I gave it to Justin Burfield, primarily for the scenes in the crate, because I think it was very well done and and, uh, excellent. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. I can definitely see that. Uh, I gave mine to Frankie Mew. Okay. Uh, Because uh, we, we get to see a lot more of, like, genuine heartfelt Malcolm than we usually get in this episode, and I think he did a really good job with that as well as with the like you know more standard malcolm we get at the start of the episode with him you know being typical snarky shitty malcolm and sort of this transition we get okay and uh who did you give your mrs stabney award your award for the worst parent so man i vacillated on this a little bit but i i think ultimately i had to go with hal Okay. Hal opened his cabinet to a killer bee inside his home and then locked his infant son in the room with said killer bee. (laughs) And even if the bee was only after him, how much do you think uh, evil, killer, just absolute unit of a monster would think about hurting his son to get at him. I have the exact same thought process. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, especially the bee is after him because he killed the bee's family. I mean, what, what more, you know, direct punishment could there be? What kind of direct revenge, you know, better than uh, going after his son? Yeah, an eye for an eye. Exactly. And bees have lots of eyes. Yeah. Jamie only has two. Well, after that bee's done with him, might only have one. Yikes. That's morbid. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. <laughs> like, how do you leave your son locked in there with this? 
Okay, well, let's move <laughs> along to the OK Boomer War, the award that sets the episode firmly within its time of release. What did you choose for this, David? Sin City, obviously. Fair. <laughs> That's kind of my choice. <laughs> I mean, Frank Miller being at a, at a comic book store signing things in 2005? Well, that's because of Sin City. Well, I think that's the reason he would be, like, a recognizable enough name to put in a sitcom. I guess that's fair. Comic book nerds. You know, Frank Miller at this point is fairly old news. Correct. In fact, a lot of people, me included, could argue, you know, maybe not his best years anymore (laughs) by this point. (laughs) I mean, I don't disagree. But, real quick, I do think that, like, him actually going out and being allowed into places to do signings again was due to the popularity of Sin City. Uh, well, this is actually, like, around the era where people started to, like, take note of how off the rails Frank Miller was getting. Because this is the year that, uh, his, uh, all-star Batman and Robin comics started coming out, which continues the, uh, Dark Knight Rises world. Okay. And it's where that stuff starts to get real overtly, like, racist and stuff. Gotcha, yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- this is, like, both the period of, like, this is, like, Frank Miller at his most well-known, because, as you said, since City comes out this year, 300 comes out the next year. Uh-huh. But this is actually kind of... The same era where comic book fans start being very divided about Frank Miller. Okay. I, like, I think he'd had some stuff that was, like, really questionable questionable before this, but, like, that, that comic series in particular is, like, uh, at least for me, where I was, like, reading it and going, Ugh, like, even as a high schooler. Huh. Uh, I have to admit, that's not a comic series I read, so. I wouldn't. Fair enough. <laughs> But I, I did also, in looking into this, get uh, you know, realize that, yes, there's clearly a comic book nerd amongst the writers. But uh, not, not a necessarily big one, because Frank Miller doesn't have any new graphic novels coming out that year. He does have a nonfiction book coming out that year, uh, Eisner slash Miller, which is like a bunch of uh, like recorded conversations with him and Will Eisner, which I have also read. Uh, and that was, like, a big deal that year. And then uh, that, that Batman comic that I mentioned, but that was an ongoing series, not a graphic novel. So someone fucked up, David. Yeah, but they re-released uh, Sin City with the movie. Yeah, but that's not a new graphic novel, David. I guess fair, but it, I mean, it also kind of is when you consider no one knew what the fuck a graphic novel was. But... <laughs> that's <laughs> I, And also, like... In universe would make sense for like Malcolm to, you know, be referring either to something that's not a new graphic novel as a graphic novel, or just not realizing that you know this Frank Miller book coming out isn't a graphic novel. Right. Yeah, it would make sense for him to be nerdy enough to know that it exists, but not nerdy enough to get it right. Yeah, and I mean, if like if. You just, like, saw, like, in the newspaper or something, like, Frank Miller's doing a book signing. It wouldn't be that out of, you know, the the realm of, of a reasonable guest to be like, oh, he must have a new graphic novel. Right. Yeah, 100%. 
I mean, that's what I would assume, and I know he's written things other than graphic novels. Yeah, for sure, same. But uh, with that, let's go to our last pair of awards, our shittiest and least shitty kid award. Ah, yes. And let's start with shittiest kid, which uh, (laughs) your wife weighed in, as she does sometimes on these. She sure did, and she thought that it was Dewey. Yep. Which is insane. I agree. Yeah, no, Dewey is absolutely not shittiest kid here. I did have plans to potentially make arguments for other uh, children who shall now rename name or er, remain nameless. Man, I can talk. <laughs> but uh, shittiest kid now goes to Reese. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. I also have Reese. He's a uh, super racist. Correct. <laughs> Well, I guess we're moving on to Leeshin. This is a pretty, <laughs> pretty Listen, open and close case. We, we agreed. <laughs> I was gonna fight with you just to fight with you. I had Malcolm selected as shittiest kid just to have an argument. But then my wife said that absolutely insane thing about Dewey, and I was like, oh, well, I gotta change this. Yeah. Reese is just, like, super overt races about this art does definitely make what Dewey does much more palatable. Yeah, oh yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, if it wasn't for that, I'd be like, yeah, absolutely Dewey is shitty as kid. But because of that, I'm like, no, no, what Dewey did was fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was justified, even. Uh, and who did you have as least shitty kid? I gave that to Dewey. Okay, okay. Because at the very least, Dewey made sure that he had his food and water and all of that before packing him into the crate. And he made sure that he was still making noises and stuff before, you know, just abandoning him. If it had been Reese, he'd have gotten bored on day one and left it alone. For sure. Yeah. I I can see that. I did consider Dewey. The only reason I didn't go with Dewey... Uh, is because uh, he has manipulating Mike into opening the crate <laughs> at the end is pretty shitty towards Mike. That's true, but at the very least, at least Mike didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of part of the problem. <laughs> I know it is, but I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, and because of that, I gave Malcolm least. Because while he is very shitty at the start of the episode with his manipulation of Lois... He does uh, eventually confess to that, despite, you know, the uh, clear ramification that's going to have on his life. And he does, over the course of the episode, like, actually bond with Lois and, I think, become a better person because of it. Yeah, maybe. Okay. I I mean, I... Listen, Malcolm's pretty shitty. Just, Just all the shit that he goes through with Jessica in general. Like, shitty person. But, like, I get where you're coming from. I just don't think that... I don't think he gets enough of a comeuppance. Uh, yeah, I mean, we don't see him get them, but I do. It does definitely feel like they're coming. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> then uh, that wraps up our awards, but we have a couple of segments left, beginning with WTF F. Where the fuck's Francis? Yeah, Jake, where is he? Well, David. He is taking a break from all of the complex web of potential crime, false accusations, 
potential child slavery that he's been accused of. Yeah, that shit's and insane. He's, you know, th- 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 there's a lot of stuff going on, you know, being being sent his way. And he's, you know, trying to just en- enjoy himself and distract himself from all of these problems by watching a new show on Comedy Central. Oh, no. It started in October, but that he had been excited about. Because, David, the Colbert Report has just started at this point in 2005. And, of course, Francis would be the kind of guy who would know Stephen Colbert from his appearances on The Daily Show as a correspondent. So he would be very excited that, you know, Colbert's getting his own show now. So he's spending his nights at home with Piyama, kicking back and relaxing, Watching some parody of conservative news on Comedy Central. That's where the fuck Francis is. All right. First of all, Francis has some excellent taste. Of course he does, Dave. It's a great show. It was determined that Francis has great taste in TV, and that one episode where he immediately recognized BB was watching Buffy from One Line. (laughs) Yeah, he recognized that. He did. He says, wait, are you watching Buffy? <laughs> oh, that's right. He does say yeah. that. Listen, it's been such a meme to make fun of you for it for so long that I just immediately transposed that to you in my head. And based on that one line, I have assumed the entire time that Francis and I have nearly identical taste in TV shows. <laughs> you know, I can see it, though. Like, I get it. I get it. All right. I don't think you're right, but I get it. Okay. Well, uh, from there, we will go to the Cranston Connection, as we have determined that in some form or fashion, every character played by Brian Cranston is actually the same character. And this time, we have our first. Listener suggested Cranston Connection. I am very excited to hear this. As uh, Max wrote in back in December 25th, 2001, or 2001, 2021, uh, with a wait, future wait, Cranston wait, wait, wait. Connection to use for this episode. What? Yes. You've been sitting on that this long? Uh, Yes, and I definitely would have forgotten but uh, like uh, five days ago, uh, they sent another email reminding me <laughs> that this was coming up. That's so <laughs> awesome. But also, fuck you. Guys, he tells me nothing. He tells me nothing. If you want to get in touch with David, join the Discord or get us on Twitch. Because he tells me nothing. Oh, my God. He told me about this. As the episode ended today. (laughs) Yeah, to let you know you didn't need to do one. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) If if you hadn't been on the Cranston Connection, David, you would have been finding this out during the episode. (laughs) I know! (laughs) That's what I'm saying! That is simultaneously genius and evil. You're a bad man. Uh, to, to read the email, to the point of keeping this from you, David, the email reads, I know this is Jake, so I'm glad I'm not spoiling anything for David. <laughs> 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 uh, 
but I hope you get the Cranston connection for the Jessica Stays Over episode when uh, Hal is terrorized by the bee, and they've included an image, which is just the shot of Hal driving with the bee, like, in the foreground, and them staring at each other, uh, and... A very similar picture from Breaking Bad from the episode The Fly, oh where my the God. fly is in the foreg- foreground and Brian Cranston is staring at it menacingly in the background. Oh my God, yeah, yeah, oh my. <laughs> I was sitting here racking my brain trying to think what it would be. <laughs> and uh, Max goes on saying, so in Breaking Bad, when he has the fly episode, and it seems so out of place and weird, it's really just him having flashbacks about the fight with the bee. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, it's his PTSD from the the total planetary war with the bees. Yep. <laughs> it all makes sense. Dude, <laughs> that's, dude, that's awesome. I love it. Good job. <laughs> Yes, that, that is great. And it's so, it fits so perfect. It does. <laughs> and oh. I, I will also be, uh, in like, putting the uh, picture that they sent in up on Twitter so everyone can see the, uh, like, visual representation of this particular Cranston connection. <laughs> I love it. I love that we have visual aids for one of these. <laughs> but that just leaves one last segment david's guessing game oh yeah that i mean i nailed that one guess <laughs> <laughs> well this week you didn't do as well as well i didn't do great last week either that's true i mean you did better than last week <laughs> okay that's good because i fucking bombed last week you you did i think it was the one before that you did really well yeah 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 but uh for this episode you thought that jessica would take it upon herself to help like mentor reese and malcolm in the ways of women and like help them try to get dates and stuff then you, you thought that because it's Jessica, there would be some sort of cruel twist and that like what started as good advice, she would like end up turning against them uh, in order to, you know, destroy them for her own amusement. Yeah. And that's not what happened here. It is not. Instead, she was helping Malcolm manipulate Lois, which does have some degree of sim- similarity. And it is advice that works, but ends up turning against Malcolm. So I did give you a decent amount of credit for that. Uh, Then you were also completely correct in saying that there would still be no Francis, which did give you a nice little boost, but uh, that brought you up to a 70%. Okay, yeah. It's awful, but fair. And let's see if you can do better next week in Secret Boyfriend. Secret Boyfriend. We've had Secret girlfriend before if i recall maybe that's just what i called it in my uh no i believe that was a previous episode so are we gonna get another like malcolm hiding under the bed thing because it does really seem to be his niche um uh, forbidden girlfriend was the episode oh that's right okay yeah Yeah, i mean it's got to be malcolm right we just spent an episode dunking on his love life i'm gonna i'm gonna hope and pray that we avoid the whole uh malcolm gets with an older woman again thing 
So yeah, I'm Malcolm's gonna get a girly friend, and then, or maybe, so maybe like Malcolm's gonna be kind of like almost friend zone. Like he's gonna have one of those relationships where like she says they're dating, but like she completely ignores him in public and. You got to keep it a secret because I'm just not ready for people to know. I just don't want it to ruin or complicate things. You know, all of that bullshit. You know, like breaking up for a guy for with a guy for being too tall. Anyways, that's a real story. Yeah, I, I think that's the route it's going to go. I think it's going to be Malcolm is going to fall head over heels for this girl. And then he she's going to show him an ounce of affection. And is going to be his air quotes girlfriend. But like, you know, they'll only hang out at her house or, you know, at the comic book shop where she knows none of her friends will ever see them. Okay. And do you think Francis will make his return? This Mm. will be episode six of this season. Still no Francis. I'm going to go with no. All right. Well, we will find out how you did next week yay secret boyfriend well as always thanks and credits to jacob newfeld who does our intro and outro music if you would like to find links to more of his music you can find that in the episode description and if you would like to get in touch with us you can reach us by email where we are life is unfair pod at gmail.com or on twitter where we are unfair underscore podcast if you enjoy the banter back and forth here and want to join us live, head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray, where we play video games, interact with chat, and in general, have a good time. And as always, remember that life is unfair. Mm-hmm.